Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, I've got an update for the listeners on something quite key. So by the time people are listening to this, I have hopefully won my eBay bid for Steel Battalion with the controller <laughs> at the uh, paid for by our lovely patrons at patreon.com slash backpage pod. I promise that when I paid my taxes, which I have done this week incorrectly and I have to redo. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I missed I missed one month of the thing and you've got to, it's like a whole thing, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, slightly painful, but not too bad. Very privileged position to be in, of course. I've, I'm going to goddamn buy a steel battalion it won't be in the box sadly so i can't do an unboxing but it is tested and proved to be working so it's gonna happen i'm gonna play steel battalion the steel battalion episode will hopefully happen at some point uh in the next like i don't know two or three months probably in july or august or something (laughs) when things calm down i'm gonna play this damn game with this preposterous mech controller and see how it goes what do you think of that (laughs) that's amazing we should save it for a week where something really important's happening just to spite (laughs) it like starfield week should be the week that we play steel battalion and only talk about steel battalion yeah yeah they're thinking oh would it be good if they did an episode on uh, bethesda rpgs and then it's like nope we're gonna do an episode (laughs) on a two decade old capcom game that no one played fantastic so will that i'm assuming that has to play on an original xbox it does. Herein lies some of the ambiguity here, right? Because I don't know how I plug that into my regular TV. I have an original Xbox in my flat. I got my old one back, but um, I might need to do some cable gubbins to get this working. It's gonna. It right. could be a whole journey. It could be an odyssey. This could be like a years long process, but hopefully not. I'm hoping I can find some way to plug it in and enjoy it. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. and then I imagine after three or four months, I'll have the ultimate bias remorse and need to get rid of it. But, yeah. <laughs> but what, what are two or three months, you know? You are going to be tripping over that thing in your flat and you're going <laughs> to curse its name. <laughs> Which button are you looking forward to pressing the most first? Uh, eject, obviously, because it's oh, inside yeah. a little glass case that you lift up. That's the part I'm most excited about. I think that's, uh, that's accurate. Which, uh, <laughs> as mentioned on a previous episode, the developer wanted to make it actually made of glass so it would shatter. you'd have to shatter it to reach the eject button, which says everything about the ethos behind that game. So, mm. you know, this is perhaps the dumbest thing I've ever spent money on, but I will say that I have, um, I'm have i investing the rest wisely. It's just going straight into my savings to, uh, to eventually buy a house. So, you know, nice. it's a bit, of, uh, you know, a bit of like karmic balance there with the universe, mm. hopefully. How are you spending your Patreon funds, Matthew? I know you bought PSVR 2 with it. Anything else kind of nice in the offer? Uh... Just sort of sweets and being a bit blasé with Deliveroo. More blasé than I would be if I if I didn't have Patreon. Nice. I've never been a very good saver. <laughs> like I'm not I'm not a what about a rainy day kind of guy. Even though I had like a very prominent rainy day when I was made redundant a couple of years ago, and was like, oh yeah, this is what people save for. But did I learn my lesson? Well, talk to the the mountain of Haribo wrappers. <laughs> Okay, good. That's a powerful metaphor there. And uh, it isn't yeah. a metaphor; it's actually real. No, it's a li- literal pile. Uh, it's a literal. It's a literal mountain. And you I'm can... not climbing a metaphorical sweet mountain here. And he is literally inviting you to come and talk to them. And like you can, you can film it and everything. It'll be yeah, like uh, yeah. It's yeah. It's all there. I'm gonna die on that thing, like <laughs> all those p- bodies that get frozen on top of um, the, the Himalayas. <laughs> well, okay, good. We've we've successfully weeded out the casual listeners with four minutes of bullshit so that's good quite mm-hmm. proud of that so matthew you've had a week off this week i've got an inkling that you've only been doing one thing with that week off but how's it going 
It's going brilliantly. I've been playing Zelda all week, obviously. Though I have been taking more trips out of the house than I expected to. You know, just, just so I don't go like mad sitting in the living room. So we've been trying to pop out to do like shopping runs uh, for the aforementioned Haribo. Because, <laughs> you know, I wanted to go like full teenage like matthew mode of just like new game make sure i've got a huge supply of fizzy drinks and sweets so i can just like snack all day wow um sounds handsome oh it's been (laughs) it's been it's been so good really captured something you know there's very few games that deserve this this all-out treatment deliveries for lunch the works though i did leave the house to see guardians of the galaxy today so we had a little break from it that's good was uh did that live up to your low expectations Better than some of the others, I think. Just because it's self-contained, it instantly does away with a lot of the MCU bullshit. It didn't feel like a a chapter in something other than Guardians of the Galaxy, I guess. Um, Though weirdly, when we went to the cinema, the sound system broke during the trailers because it was in the middle of the Oppenheimer trailer and suddenly all that was happening was just the dialogue, no sound effect or music. (laughs) Weirdly, because Christopher Nolan being Christopher Nolan, you're watching it thinking... Is this intentional? Like, it kind of works. Because it's just lots of people going like, good God, and it's going to happen. <laughs> and you're like, wow, this is quite an artistic choice. But then in everything else, the sound was fucked and the film started, so I had to go out. So I missed a key scene where they explained what quest they were on. So I managed to, you know, piece the plot together. It's not like rocket science although it is <laughs> uh, 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 great that was uh, wow well, you really you know you really landed the plane on that one I, I, I mean, <laughs> frankly yeah so so that's yeah good. so it was fun i like the idea that you were just sat there for the oppenheim trailer thinking wow nolan took the criticism of uh tenor and bane's dialogue being inaudible so personally he's made a film that's dialogue only with no music that's the only takeaway from that and, it uh, was like that weird mummy trailer where you could only hear Tom Cruise scream. Oh yeah, that? yeah, that was incredible. That's uh, it had that it had that energy. Very strange experience. That's, yeah, that summed up that film. Um, I want to see the same effect with the Greta Gerwig Barbie film because I feel like somehow that will end up looking like a horror film if you take all the music out of it. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that should be good. Okay, good. Sounds like a rich week off. That's mm. the interesting thing about this episode, right? So obviously, this is two giant men play Tears of the Kingdom, and I've been so stressed out by the prospect of this podcast for one very simple reason i do not feel like i'm going to get an overall impression of what i think of this game until i'm tens of hours into it which is a strange thing to say but is true because this this game is quite unusual in how it's structured and how the experience kind of pans out so i've been sweating this a little bit but you have played so much more of this game than me so you are in a much better position to talk about this authoritatively. Obviously, you are the Zelda head on uh, on this podcast. So <laughs> excited to go through this with you and find out if you think it's superior to Edge 10 out of 10 Skyward Sword, Matthew. That's, you know, <laughs> a key thing to figure out here. So let's start then. Brass tacks. How many hours of this game have you played so far in your week off? Because it tells you in the Switch menu, right? It hasn't kicked in. It, the, the hour count only kicks in after a certain amount of time right. has like passed, as in... I don't know. Currently, it says you are playing this game, so it doesn't actually tell me. I would probably put it somewhere between 30 and 40. Okay, so not like, uh, you know, not enough to have seen everything, but enough to have seen most of what it has to offer. 
I mean, I don't know, honestly. <laughs> like, so, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll sort of say, and we're going to talk about lots of different things in this episode, but, like, just if anyone, like, up front wants an indicator of where I am in case they're like, ah, he's going to spoil it. I've done one of the four story missions. Right. And the rest of it, I've basically just been pissing about. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I've played about 10 hours of this. I've not done maybe a bit more than that, actually. That might be lowballing it a bit. I have mostly been pottering around the opening um sort of hyrule area which is you know obviously this game is uh is is uses the same overworld as the legend of zelda breath of the world from 2017 but adds loads and loads of new content to that world but it does start you in well after after a fashion it starts you in a place that feels kind of familiar so i've been pottering around that area completing shrines Mm. and exploring and uncovering side quests that sort of thing and i'm not even close to having an overall handle on what this game is exactly. Yes, Matthew, some some more context then. So, you know, just for listeners' sake, we're not going to spoil anything major in this episode. This is very much designed as like a spoiler-free impressions uh, kind of episode. So we've got some broader thoughts in section one. Section two will have a few more specifics. At most, we will spoil the very opening hours of this. I don't think, Matthew, there's any other kind of like warnings we need to put in there. I think we'll probably keep it quite top line. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think so. I think that's that's the right way of doing it. And obviously it's a tricky one because you're kind of free to go in any direction and in any direction you go, you're going to start finding stuff and uncovering stuff. And it, it's not like it has a structure of like, oh, this is the first thing you'll find and this is the second thing. So, you know, I, I've probably seen a lot of stuff. Like, well, I, I can take case in point, like Catherine's playing it. She also has the week off and is basically doing exactly what I'm doing. And there's lots of stuff we're seeing a lot of different stuff and are trying not to sort of spoil it for each other. So right. um, I, I think just through that process, I, you know, I, I'm trying not to spoil stuff for Catherine and I'll basically apply my, the same sort of thinking here is my plan. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Um, did getting your copy first before Catherine create any marital difficulties for you uh, this past week? Did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> no, she, she very graciously let me start playing it because it unlocked at midnight on friday morning right and you know i was a little bit like oh i wouldn't i wouldn't mind booting it up just to see like the title screen just to see you know what it looks like or whatever right and ended up playing about an hour then but with her there as well like she she wants you know she was sat there as well and was looking at it you know which for me i'd be like no fucking way am i watching someone else play the opening hour of this game so yeah, I basically did like a one-person live stream to a to a live audience in our in our house, right? Um, complete with complete running commentary over the whole hour. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. So yeah, and then I played it. Yeah, I played it most of Friday, um, but left the house. I took Kathy out for lunch because I was feeling bad that I was getting to play it and she wasn't. That's good. Um, yeah, a little know. bit of a lamb lamb pitter, uh sort of like rap thing there from. Uh... Kingsmead Kitchen, Matthew. Oh, we went to the, that uh, sushi place, uh, Hondo. Oh, yeah. Um, not tried so I like their chicken katsu curry there. Oh, yeah, I've not tried that place. And it's because I'm kind of confused. It always looks like I'm walking into a, a shop and then it's... Well, it is, it, it's attached to a, to an Asian supermarket. Right, right. Uh, and the whole thing has the energy of, like, where does the sort of supermarket end and the restaurant <laughs> begin, which is a little bit chaotic. But... It's it's like not like the you know it's a little bit no frills inside, but right. um, the food's good and they do that um, Japanese lemonade with the 
you have to smash that little glass ball into the drink. Oh, wow. That? No, I've never had that, but, you know, it sounds like something I might have experienced via the Yakuza <laughs> series at some point, but I don't know. It's always a bit awkward, because they ask you, Ramune, I think it's called, and and it requires a little bit of physical force to open it, and the wait- waiters always say, do you want me to do this for you? As if to say, like, you weak piece of shit. <laughs> 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 uh, but I also don't like making a big physical show of anything in public, just in case I do fuck it up, so I'm always like, please, go right ahead. Right. So they sort of smash it down. It's a little bit like, what would I liken it to? It's a bit. It's a little bit like the chocolate orange tap, <laughs> but for drinks. <laughs> oh you know? dear! It's sort of like sometimes I worry you just you've just got too much of a beta mindset, Matthew. And you can. So, <laughs> I think I think you're capable of like making your own lemonade. Do you know what I mean? Like I just I'm, I have that level of belief in you. You know, I'm just. I'm just I, gonna d- I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I hope you're enjoying this episode on Tours of the Kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay, so let's start with what is this computer game? So The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, released in 2017 for Wii U and Nintendo Switch. It was largely considered a, a Switch game, though. It was, you know, responsible for shifting an enormous amount of consoles. At the time, it was revered as one of the greatest games ever made. They decided to make a direct sequel, which I think was announced in 2019. Long, long wait. The uh, the, the trailer they showed uh, at the time was Link and Zelda going into uh, the caves underneath Hyrule Castle. That is where this game starts. This game uses the basis of Hyrule as its overworld, essentially, but there are areas to explore above the map and below the map, floating islands and also underground spaces to explore. So it's not exactly the same thing. The map they do have, they're filled with a lot more things. It's been six years enormously anticipated game on this podcast me and Matthew I think like maybe I had it a second in my games of generation you had it first but certainly it's a game we adore and have discussed many many times it was number one I believe in Matthew Zelda games list too so enormously important to us Matthew what do you think of it no surprise to anyone I think this is a phenomenal video game I am genuinely blown away by the execution of its big new ideas, how much they squeeze out of the same map, how much of a, like, how little of a problem that is. Like, my big concern going in was, is this going to feel kind of busted as an experience? Because discovery and seeing it all afresh is, it's such an integral part of the first game. Surely, surely just reusing the map can't, you know, possibly deliver a similar experience and maybe i was thinking a little bit of like the dlc which the dlc for breath of the wild where they kind of stuck uh, some more kind of shrines in the map and some kind of like extra riddles on top of the map but it was fundamentally the same place and you were like is is that going to be it you know is that an indication of like where their head's at partly because they've just been so quiet on this game like They've not said anything. The first interviews about this game ha- literally happened the week of launch. They put up a, a chain of interviews, sort of like the spiritual successor to Awata Ars on the Nintendo site, and some selected press had interviews that went live on Friday. And, uh, you know, I was just struck by, like, we haven't heard Anuma talk about this series. That's A.G. Anuma, the producer of Zelda. You know, in like, almost six years, like, you know, what the fuck? What have these guys been doing? And... You know, surely they must be doing something spectacular, and and yeah, it's just discovering what they have been up to is yeah, been a you know a, a crazy treat, and I'm so glad I went in sort of blind on this. I didn't read any of the reviews. I still haven't read any of the reviews. Uh, that's how lacking confidence I am that I've seen 
everything this game has to offer that even after 30 40 hours i still feel like there's stuff that i i just want to kind of come across by myself so kind of a hard one to talk about and summarize because it's that sense of playing something and thinking this is going to be a biggie for me you know like this is i can just feel it in its bones so you don't like to call these things too early but it's given me exactly the same vibes that i i've gotten playing some of my favorite games of all times for the first time you know it's it has that you know that just magic quality that i look for in games that are you know quote unquote masterpieces Mm, interesting so here's a question i want to ask you is that how you felt throughout your time playing it and i ask that not with any kind of like bad intentions but just no. because the, some of the people i'm talking to their opinion of it is changing as it, as it goes and one of the conundrums i sort of face in this podcast is i i don't feel i've played enough to like offer a, even really a comprehensive first impression i know you right. do but i do know a few people i'm speaking to their opinion of it has changed as they've gotten deeper into it and has it's it's fluctuated that relationship with the game for a few reasons right. we'll get into so has have you always had that stance as you've been playing it have you always been like i love what this is doing and i dig it i had to sort of get down to the surface i think because obviously like the meat of the game is is the map of hyrule and what's going on down there and i was more interested in what had changed and what they'd done to kind of refresh that map than necessarily like the news the new stuff so you know already into spoiler territory here but you know the the, the story opens in the skies and we'll talk a bit about that you know, in a bit more detail. I, I was I was liking that stuff. I, I was enjoying the look of the place and the vibe of the place. And it was quite elegantly teaching me new ideas. And there was lots of things I thought, oh, this is kind of cool. I, I kind of have a feel for this game. And actually, you know, I think a lot of the stuff it was teaching you is then the stuff that you kind of go wild with down in Hyrule. And, it, and it, you know, that's when it really opens up. It's actually quite a linear bit up in, up in the skies. And I can tell you the, the the precise moment where I thought, if only for this, this is spectacular. Right. And it actually was up in up in the skies. There are devices in this game. There are like these bird gliders, which are just shaped like birds, and you can put them in ramps and they slide off. And Link stands on top of it as it glides down. You can control it by walking around on it. So it's a big physics object. Imagine like a little man standing on a paper airplane. If you walk towards the front of the plane, its nose dips and it goes down faster. If you go to the back of the plane, its nose rises and it will slow its descent. And just that execution of that physics experience of like the sense of a glide and how you could move that object, that felt like such a tactile, pure, like, Nintendo execution of that idea. That was the first thing where I was like, holy shit, that is so nice. Such a nice feeling thing. So, you know, that was probably a couple of hours in where I, I had this first sort of, oh, this is just so cool. And yeah, and, and then since then, it's kind of been like a run of moments like that and discoveries like that. And there is just a baseline enjoyment of being in that world and the, just the moment to moment moving about and it's sort of impeccable vibes and sound design and just the, the nature of it all is, is, is still really lovely to me. But uh, yeah, it's it's just been like discovering all the new crazy shit that they've made. And this really is new crazy shit, the game. So yeah, it wasn't like, yeah, I'm not going to lie. It wasn't like a like, holy shit, I'm playing a 10 from the first 10 minutes of it or anything. Right. 
Though I do love the narrative beat at the start. I thought that was really unusual, and, and that actually like announced a, a slightly different kind of Zelda game that we were going to be playing too. Something there's there's something very interesting in this being a direct sequel and how that changes kind of how Nintendo think and deal with the world and characters and story, which aren't really things we necessarily like associate with Nintendo. So from like a nerdy Nintendo follower perspective, that stuff's been super engaging. I'm going to say this a lot. It's, it's, it is a super hard one to unpick this because like I'm still in the midst of playing it, getting my thoughts in order. I'm really glad I didn't have to review it. Huh. Yeah, Despite pursuing that. that review quite aggressively, like... <laughs> To have to cram this in, even into two weeks, I think people had with it, yeah. would have been kind of unacceptable to me. Yeah, I just saw that um, <laughs> I just saw that Edge reviewed... Well, actually, I, I won't reveal what the Edge scores were, because I know like, they like to keep that secret for their readership, don't they? But um, yeah, I saw that there were like two other games in Edge that got a nine this month, and I was so stressed out by the thought of trying to play anything else other than this, until at least Final right. Fantasy sixteen comes out. Because this is like a game that... It actually like is not made for the deranged people like us who play 40 plus games a year. It's made for people I think who play 2 to 3 games a year and this is like a this will be a massive part of their gaming year. And this is you just can't approach this conventionally. You can't think of it as I'll get through the critical path in 20 hours because it's just not right. that it's not that experience if you do that. You are fighting what it is in order to get there. Yeah. So here's the here was the big takeaway from my first impression with this game was this game it was the realization and i suspected this anyway from you know the build-up to this it cannot club you over the head with the sense of newness that breath of the world did in this form it can't replicate that exact feeling of holy shit look at this amazing world they've built and in this art style look how you know how tactile it is all these amazing things you do it mm. it cannot give you that experience because it is a direct sequel. It does it's aesthetically similar. It has tons of new features, but the fundamental first impression of holy shit, I'm on this plateau, you know, it's a contained space, but also I can see everything else around me, like a whole world out there waiting to to be explored. This when it props you on that floating island and you you can see some stuff in the distance it's sort of like it just doesn't give you that same level of like holy mm. shit what am i looking at and that is not necessarily something i would ding it for majorly but there was i will admit there was some disappointment i had to get over with that of like okay uh, it, it just didn't make a first impression where i was like I was anything but a little bit lukewarm. I thought, okay, this feels more like an extended tutorial than the start of my great adventure. Just more, more in a more pronounced way. Because yeah, that I can op- see that. That opening island, and we'll discuss it more in part two, is like the set of islands. They're about introducing a bunch of new mechanics to the game. So there is, there's a few. There's uh, basically like a ultra hand, which allows you to sort of weld objects together in this like blue tack like fashion to build different contraptions or create a bridge that sort of thing a very advanced feature that is um, technically amazing that it's in this game um, in this nintendo switch game and allows you to build such amazing things as i'm sure people have seen on social media by now unless you have wisely been avoiding it at all costs there's also fuse which allows you to merge a weapon with any other item that you drop on the ground which is okay as a feature we can talk a bit about that um <laughs> there's, there's some things i like about it and some ways i think it's a little bit fiddly there's also 
my favorite feature in this game which is the rewind feature which allows you to basically reverse the animation of any object in the game which allows you to sort of like fall ass backwards into solving so many puzzles in this game by let's say you build something using ultra hand and you try and prop it up and it falls down you can use the rewind function to get it to the point where it was propped up and use that to climb up onto a surface that's just one of the ways you could use that and that i think is kind of amazing sort of like temporal pincer movement in my way around this game <laughs> and then there's also a feature called ascend is that right matthew or is it ascend yeah, to one right. of those yeah. two and so yeah that allows you to basically pop up through um, any sort of surface that's above you in the game I think that's it for what they give you at the start. Is that right, Matthew? I think that's right. Yeah, that sounds about right. And then there's more they layer in. There's more of the old legacy Zelda stuff they layer back in too. And like you say, it teaches you as well about um, these Zonai artifacts, which give you uh, you know ways to sort of craft cool things in the game. But also, um, like you mentioned, they give you that um, neat little glider as well. So... All of that is basically what the the first few hours are about. It's about overloading your brain sort of Neo style with look at all this stuff we've built and teaching you how to use it. And once you do get down to Hyrule, you have a good idea of how those fundamentals work and then you're unleashed in the world to go and experiment with mm. those things. And so with all that in mind, Matthew, do you think my point about newness is fair? Is it Would it be too much to ask from this game to still wow you in that very specific way that breath of the wild did when i first played it 2017 am i asking too much there to expect that in any form it's very hard to see what they could have possibly have done that would have had that impact you know you know just because visually it you know it looks so similar and you know like you say it is it is that that landscape again you know the you know, sh- you know, short of them literally making a new world and, and short of them making a whole new Zelda, basically. It is it is hard for them to deliver that same moment. But what I would say is that they, they seed so much stuff in that opening stretch that reveals itself to be just pure genius, like, w- once you get to grips with it and... Now I can't really imagine it without that stuff. Um, it's something uh, Chris Schilling said to me of like a big kind of test he did with it of like after playing it and going back to Breath of the Wild and finding it like greatly inferior without those tools. And that's interesting to me. There is definitely stuff in this which I absolutely love, but it speaks to me as a major Zelda nerd. I really do like that 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 little opening narrative bit you know like that that got me really really excited for it and you know it was already doing something the first game sort of didn't really do you know the strange thing about breath of the wild is that it's meat of its sort of story takes place a hundred years in the past and is revealed through kind of flashback cutscenes. and this is just a lot more present you know what's what's happening and it, it, you know what's happening is happening to link in the here and now and also it's a fair bit more complicated it's a little bit more like traditional zelda one of the kind of predictions or things i'd hoped for was that they took the hyrule from breath of the world and in kind of embedded a more traditional zelda quest in it with dungeons and the lore and the kind of the collectible doodads the things i associate more with like ocarina twilight princess wind waker kind of that kind of era 3d zelda and like to a degree they have done that it's just it's still surrounded by as much, if not more, 
of the kind of open-ended stuff you know i think there is a version of this game which if you mainline it would probably feel and look a lot more like a traditional 3d zelda than breath of the wild did but i i I just i don't know i wouldn't recommend playing playing it that way so that was a really sprawling answer that didn't really answer your question (laughs) no it's fine you you know you were excited by the the presence of more zelda stuff i think that just i don't want that to seem as like too damning because it's it's not really i think it is it, it is something that is just unavoidable in some ways it just can't it cannot hit you with that same same feeling you know the zelda team have been working on the zelda games as a collective group for like a long time you know fujibayashi who directed breath of the world and tears of the kingdom also directed skyward sword and he himself is like a kind of confessed fan of zelda puzzles and and like more linear zelda design he is also the person who chooses to open it up to this more systemic zelda but he still has that interest and i think he has and his team have correctly identified that you can embed a more focused more scripted stuff in that map without it running counter to the promise of freedom you know i i think it's there you know i think there's there's definite moments where they really kind of like focus your gaze on something in particular much more than breath of the world but even in that moment how you tackle it and the link you bring into that moment can fluctuate wildly based on how you choose to play the game you know there's there's absolutely no single correct solution to to much of what i've played which would be an indicator of like more traditional Zelda thinking. The, the way the the story beats, which again, like the first game, there are like four things you can do at this point in the game. I don't know if there are more beyond that. Who knows? You know, you're kind of working towards a quote unquote dungeon, but the run up to it is a bit more substantial and a bit more the kind of the run up to some of the dungeons in the earlier games as well. And this is something Breath of the Wild did, but just not not in a substantial way. There's there's a lot of stuff in this game which I actually think they would have done in Breath of the Wild if maybe they'd had a bit more time. I don't think a lot of this stuff is corrective. I think it's it's them delivering on a on a hint of something. You know, I, I keep coming back to like the little quest lines you did before you went into the Divine Beasts in, in Breath of the Wild, you'd meet a character, they'd give you a task, you'd go off and do it. But some of them were a little bit more scripted. That one where you have to guide like the Goron up the mountain and kind of take shots at the Divine Beast. He has to follow this path, so you're kind of like stuck to this linear area. You have to protect him. There are these spy drone things above, and you have to work out how to bring down each spy drone. And that is actually like... That's not far off a Skyward Sword overworld puzzle. So I think that there was that stuff in here, and here they've just, like, blown it out in a big way. So maybe as a Skyward Sword-liker, I can kind of see a bit more connective tissue to those earlier games and sort of see that it is a kind of continued fascination for this particular director. I don't see it as, like, an apology, and I don't see it as a kind of corrective. It's just sort of what I think they always had in mind is my read on it anyway. Okay, interesting. Uh, Yeah, just because that first game was so open-ended its structure, not just in how you approach the game. Um, In some ways, actually, once you you got to your destination, the solution was fairly straightforward. So... um, Yeah, I mean, you can still do the... the, You know, it's still like, hey, you've arrived, there are four regions, and there are four bad things going on in each region, and you can do them in any order. I mean structurally it doesn't seem that different there's maybe a bit more dressing like along the way i mean definitely if you if you imagine it's spoking out in four directions 
those spokes have a few more kind of required destinations along them, which probably is a bit different. Yeah, and more story as well uh, tied to it. It's, it feels like story is plays a slightly bigger part here than it did in the first game to me, like the yeah. number of cutscenes and things like that. But I, but I think that's the interesting thing of like, there's you know, there hasn't been a direct Zelda sequel for a long time, not since like Majora's Mask. I guess Link Between Worlds, if you want to kind of, I, I don't know, I, I see that as a bit of an oddity on the side. But the idea of that you're going back to this world and you have to continue a story thread, which is actually something they kind of reject a lot. You know, the, the classic Nintendo line is that, you know, there are kind of mechanics first and then they just graft a story onto it to make it work. Like Miyamoto says, you never come at it from the perspective of what's the story I want to tell and then you make the game around it. That just isn't how they do it. But actually in a direct sequel where you have a history to account for and characters' lives that you want to continue and a kind of past you want to kind of reckon with, you actually do have to ask those questions. And the th- thing that has struck me in a, in a good way, I really love it about this game, is how, how much sort of thought has gone into that story content. I mean, it's, it's almost hilarious how many minor characters have something that relates to the first game all these kind of stable masters from the stables who are like, remember me? And you're like, no, I thought you were a generic <laughs> man who was at every stable in Breath of the Wild. I didn't realise you were like individual characters with individual lives, you know? And it's kind of like, I got laid off from this one stable and you're like, I didn't even know you worked there. I'm so sorry. I wasn't paying that much attention to you, but Nintendo was. And if you were super into Breath of the Wild and you, and you were super nerdy about it, you know, it's kind of wild how much of that stuff they have done like traditional sort of sequel craft it's it's kind of that feels like a big step for them but like maybe by like conventional you know sequel thinking that isn't as controversial a move in a nintendo game you're like it's kind of crazy that this thing kind of hinges so much on the first game yeah it is interesting because i think that something people pondered a very broad observation was will this be the Majora's Mask of, you know, of Breath of the Wild, relatively speaking, i.e. some asset flipping, some remixing, but otherwise an original game built from those mechanics. I almost think the canvas is too wide here to make that comparison based on what I've played so far, but I was curious what you make of that as a theory to apply to this. People would like it because Majora's Mask is like the weirdo one to like, right? It's the one that cool people like. No, this is, I mean, this, this is like much more normal like there there is some surprisingly like dark and creepy stuff in it there's always been a, a slightly weird horror element you know we've talked about this before that there is someone on their zelda team is like a weirdo and occasionally manages to smuggle through something which is like genuinely quite disturbing like the re-deads in ocarina or the the kind of like that sort of un, the sort of sealed undead knight in twilight princess there's always something that slips through the cracks and here i'd argue one of the substantial kind of geographical twists to this map is like very sinister in its nature They've, uh, I don't think it's a spoiler to say the Guardians from the first game aren't a thing in here, those big kind of tentacle bots. But there is a kind of equivalent of them that can happen. I don't know if it's by random or if it's certain locations, but there's this certain thing that can kind of kick off and the game gets quite scary quite fast when it does. Hmm. And it's it's only happened like three times in 30 hours, but it's absolutely, it's just hugely stressed me out every time it's happened. There is, there's a strand of that. There's a big side quest involving a very incredibly cursed 
statue that honestly feels like it wouldn't be out of place in like an Elden Ring or something. I, I I just think like there's so much stuff in here. Like some of it is bound to kind of scratch that Majora's Mask itch. I think there's so much stuff in here. It's bound to kind of scratch whatever Zelda itch you have. Okay, interesting. Uh, so I suppose, Matthew, I was curious to know what you make of these various new game mechanics. And I asked this because I feel like I only have a partial framework of how important they are in the game so they are positioned very much as tools that are essential to your adventure however traditionally you and i are not massive on crafting systems and the ultra hand stuff is a big part of what you know social media has latched onto with this game for obvious reasons has this changed your mind on crafting and how do you feel about the new mechanics generally yeah i I absolutely love them it hasn't changed my mind of crafting it's you know all it's done is reinforce that if someone makes a crafting system that I like enough, I'll like it. You know, it's I'm not anti-crafting. You know, I'm, I'm not that much of a sort of zealot about things. I would hope, um, but yeah, I I think it's the perfect balance of freedom to experiment, but also achievable. Uh, maybe a, a little bit of bedding in time with the controls. I'm willing to accept that. That is something in an early stretch of this game. Like there is a little bit of kind of like recalibrating required to kind of get your head around the ultra hand. Um, it probably helps that I went straight into this from a Breath of the Wild playthrough, so I, I was kind of on board with all the other control quirks that are just naturally part of Breath of the Wild. But yeah, uh, so two big things with the crafting in this game. I think. One, it feels like a really natural evolution of what they did in Breath of the Wild, which was asked the question, what if Hyrule had systems? You know, what if Hyrule had physics, survival systems, weather? You know, that stuff is kind of like where the spark of life in that game came from. And this is kind of like, well, take all that, but what also would happen if, like, engineering came to Hyrule? You know, what, what happens if, like... This is like Hyrule meets automation and it's the role kind of like machines can play in an explorer's lifestyle and how they change that lifestyle that I think is just, I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think this is probably the big reason I don't feel like the map is being reused is I think the game that plays out in that map is so changed fundamentally by this new system that you just don't see the topography in the same way. You begin to see it on a far more macro scale because it's no longer about the challenge of climbing this individual cliff face or this individual hill you know it's about well if i can glide you know if i can build a plane or something off the top of this hill you know this can get me across this whole region you're you're beginning to you can move a lot faster with these machines and that completely changes like how the map behaves kind of underneath you which i think is super cool and and you know a big reason why i haven't felt much deja vu at all actually i think crucially the the thing i really love about it is it kind of adheres to a sense of like cartoon physics there's this idea of and i'm stealing this from an interview um chris Schilling did with fujibashi for breath of the wild where he talked about the physics in that game of like uh if you think it will work it'll kind of work is the kind of vibe we're going for you know we're not trying to kind of like accurately recreate how how the world functions it's a sense of like we'll give it like a bit of a nudge to make it happen if you think it should and this is 100 percent what they're doing with this building idea you know i think you know you're not getting too bogged down in like 
balance or aerodynamics or weight you know it's quite easy to just to stick fans on stuff and then it will go forwards kind of no matter what it is and from there you have the basics of any kind of vehicle and you know how you decide to kind of like add extra flourishes to that you know you're kind of off to the races i've seen some people be like yeah spanjo nuts and bolts is vindicated by this game but this is like way simpler in terms of the number of parts you have um it's much much quicker to kind of build something like the kind of experimentation that's at the heart of this system you know it's kind of like you can bang something together in like a minute and then if it doesn't work you're like well fuck it it was a minute banjo was like a very very fiddly unpleasant system of like you know 10 20 30 minutes to build basically a giant piece of shit that would never ever work and like that was just pure death i haven't got any of that here and i think that is like the big hurdle they've got over it's kind of like kind of stick two things together and something interesting will always happen and yes at the other end of the scale you have people building like bonkers robots that kind of transform somehow i have no idea how these videos on twitter are working but like in the here and now like i've yet to i've yet to like put any amount of time into anything where it hasn't kind of delivered on that kind of promise which for me is kind of the that's that's kind of what it needed to do to kind of win me over i don't know how how are you getting on with that side of things so I think the way that things click together <clears throat> is very elegant in terms of if you can think of it, it'll work sort of thing. Mm. Where I don't think it works is the controls, like you say. I think for Nintendo, who are generally very good at clean control schemes and understandable control schemes, this is like something they're incredibly good at. There are so many times, and I know this is not just limited to me, where I go to accidentally throw my weapon when I want to activate an ability. And I think they're like, I'm really struggling to click out of that even after all these hours. And I think it's because there's so much mapped onto this control scheme that is otherwise right. was already quite busy with things you need to do with it. And now it has a lot more going on as well. And then hmm. sometimes I have to remember things like I can't just select an item from the menu to fuse with my weapon. I have to drop it on the floor first and then fuse it. That's fiddly. That's, um, that, that's my, that's like, I think the of all the various things, I think that's the biggest misstep for that system. Yeah, it just it, it encourages you to like not engage with it instantly because you can do it with arrows. Like yeah. you can instantly fuse anything, and like I use that loads. I'm much more of an arrow guy in this game than I was before. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because yeah, like you say, the arrow stuff like that's that's instantaneous, and some of those. I think the arrow stuff actually is much more interesting as a, a fusion dynamic than what I've played of the melee weapons so far, which mostly seems to be a way to extend the weapons from breaking and give you a little boost along the way, whereas. I feel like, at least so far from what I've played, like the, I guess the status effects do apply to the weapons too, but when you just have like the what's it eye on the end of an arrow and it becomes a homing arrow, that rules, for example, or, you know, an arrow mm. an arrow becomes a flaming arrow. Fantastic. And there are so many variants therein. The weapons that Fusion does, does have that as well, but because of the whole dropping on the ground thing and the lack of an instantaneous pop it together, it's done feeling that that is slightly fiddly so i'm not mm. not totally sold on that that feels like something they could just patch out i wonder if they will actually based on yeah. playing assumption to it but either way actually i do i will say in general the, the accessing your inventory feels a lot more straightforward in this and like also the fact that you can drop items when you pick up other items great touch as well so yeah lots of nice quality of life changes but ultra hand so i respect what it does but i think it <laughs> actually is quite complicated and fiddly for what it is now it could be a lot fiddlier it's certainly like like you say like there is this kind of like kids stick to get things together mentality to it it's not 
overtly complicated, but certainly in the early hours, I feel like the return on investment for time is quite low. You build like oh, okay. a NAF car that goes forward not very quickly and then runs out of battery straight away. And I'm like, well, I'll just go find a horse then. And that's how I feel about it a little bit. And some of the puzzles where they ask you to stick this stuff together, inevitably I just end up doing like one log after another to try and build a big bridge. And there's a lot of that going on. As opposed to these eureka moments of, wow, I'll build something like amazing and spectacular. And so I'm not won over by that system yet. And it's probably my biggest bugbear with the game so far. Right. Is that I just, I think it is quite... It is harder to use than maybe I was expecting. And right. I'm just, uh, yeah, and, and I don't quite buy into the idea that Nintendo has solved this in a way that other developers haven't. Like, I'm not, that's not quite where I'm at with it. But yeah. there's still a, lot to, uh, still a lot to appreciate about it. The fact that you can build incredibly complex things and the Switch doesn't fall down is very impressive. Yeah, and I know that, like, and, and, I've, and I've seen, you know, evidence of how the systems escalate and you suddenly have like tanks and then like like you say aircraft and stuff like that so maybe it's one of those things where the really interesting crafting stuff gets added like much deeper into the game but certainly in the early stages i'm like do i want to build a slightly naff automatic chariot not really i'll just go find a horse and right that's kind of where i'm at on that one basically so don't know what you yeah, make of that I, mean, I don't know yeah I, it, it's a thing to be like i, I definitely struggle with the sort of fiddliness of like particularly like rotating shapes to begin with but now just focusing on it for the last few days it, it really has kind of slipped into second nature i think there's a lot of stuff which helps you as time goes on i think a lot of the shrines are basically designed to like teach you a kind of idea for, for later inspiration right. it's kind of like hey here's this spring and it kind of behaves in this way and this way if you think about it and then the next time you find one you're like oh yes i guess i could use it this way or that way and the shrines did that in the first game as well you know like if you if you didn't sort of see something happen in the outside world for yourself the shrines were a way of going well take a good look at this and really have a think about what's going on here and almost by becoming a puzzle when you overcame it it was it was such a good like learning experience because you're like oh right i can place metal objects on the floor and electricity will pass between them now i can apply that in all these ways out in the world and it, it does the same way here if anything i think the shrines are a little bit more overtly tutorially in this one than they were before mm. but the knowledge you come out with you know you then put to such good use there is a uh, there is a mechanic that you will find that speeds up building a little bit blueprints um, right but Hmm? They get basically blueprints, right? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's a thing in itself, and like actually, the storyline around that is like brilliantly done, and it a really it links to the first game in a really fun way. Um, it's like a big, a huge, pleasant, a, a real surprise that moment. That I wouldn't, I wouldn't want spoiled for me, so I won't go any further on that. But like that instantly kind of gets things moving a lot faster. Um, I think as you uncover more of the map, you begin to get more of those like. Um, there is these like capsule machine dispensers that give you kind of the, the juicy parts that you really want you know the kind mm. of the wheels and the wings and the fans and they're actually pretty generous to the point where you stop thinking like oh I have to I really have to nail this this first time because I won't have any building parts if this fucks up and actually I think um, like the biggest leap this game's made for crafting with me is is to kind of make me quite kind of like carefree in how I approach it which I think is kind of the mindset and and that's what the game's having to do it's not just teaching you the system it's trying to teach a mindset of like 
how you think about that world and how you think about building and contraptions and you know just making you feel like you can fuck stuff up i think is probably like one of the biggest lessons they have to teach and you know this is a game people are going to be playing for hundreds of hours so maybe like it's acceptable to see that as a learning curve in itself you know to kind of maybe go well to start off with i'm going to be building like pieces of shit or maybe i won't engage with it but the the, the first time you do build something really cool that really you know bails you out like you're i think you're instantly on a road to kind of engaging with a system which is i think like the best of its kind you know i really i i like i can't really imagine this world without without that construction and you know as you get out of that opening area there's so much stuff that requires you to engage with it you know you know it's a little bit kind of you're right about the horse thing you know when there's kind of like you meet like a little korok and he's like get me to my friend and then you're like well your friend's like 200 meters away and i could literally just carry you by ultra hand or like by horse or whatever but later on like when they are kind of you know split on different mountain tops or across a huge lake and it does become quicker to just go fuck it i'm just going to build some mad little thing and like boost us over there and that sense of um achievement i i think is is like that's kind of where i am now with it i'm just you know i'm looking for i'm always looking for those opportunities to use those things and play with more parts so you know i'm a yeah i'm a, a big big convert to this um this system i think it's kind of perfectly perfectly pitched between achievability and complexity <laughs> yeah and i think that that's why i'm very reticent to say this is my take on it like comprehensively right, yeah. because it's hard to get your arms around the entirety of this game but certainly so far that's like the the one thing i'm like i'm just out on so far i'm just like i don't get this and Mm. um maybe that will change like you say as i unlock the systems that make it simpler that arguably it should maybe have in its um arguably they arguably they should let you save blueprints from the start of the game that's i don't know that might have make it made it a bit simple because if you build something you're happy with then you can just save it and it's done as opposed to starting a new every single time which is arguably not a great new user experience but mm. that's that's the one thing where i'm like well okay you know there's i know there are more complex parts so there's a long way to go with it yeah all all i can say is that like i can't i hate user generated games i hate games where i have to make stuff like i just i won't play them and it's like my favorite bit of this so you know on my basic like logic brain i'm like f- f- whatever they've done for me is like they put yeah, it in a Zelda game. The... That's what they did. They put it in a Zelda game. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe, maybe that is true. But like, what you use it for? It just has a put. You know, I'm just I'm interested in in what it's used for, and it feels like to me the the things you build they're very like physical. They're very playful. You know, I think it it's sort of governed by this like almost like there, there's like magic in them. Not not in a like airy fairy way. I mean, like you know these aren't technical machines you know there's like a lump of rock with four wheels if you attach a steering wheel to it it knows that oh this steering wheel controls the wheels that are attached to this lump of rock and Mm. that logic i can really grasp i honestly i think once it adds the steering wheel device whatever that is all of a sudden everything that you build becomes like a lot more kind of controllable and pleasurable because of that um the wrong version. I keep kind of, you know, I keep thinking like banjo and nuts and bolts. You have to put like engines in things like that. That's where this doesn't like make that mistake. It's like no one fucking cares about how this thing actually works. Just that it kind of works. Right, right. Um, yeah, that that for me is is a is a big leap. 
But I don't actually think you do have to engage with it. I mean, it would be mad, like, and sad not to. But, like, it's kind of... I don't think anything in this game is, like, can't be achieved without it, you know? Yeah. Like, it's still... Like, if, if you ignore it, it's just... It is just Breath of the Wild 2. And interestingly, a lot of the stuff they've added in to basically boost the fuse system. So there's a lot more objects with, like, interesting behaviours that even if you didn't engage with the fuse system, they will, like, end up making the combat sandbox a lot more interesting. You know, there are, like, stealth items or items that kind of change the mental state of enemies. And they're just, like... That's just, like, good old-fashioned immersive sim kind of like toys you know regardless of whether they're attached to an arrow or a shield or a or a you know a fucking rake (laughs) well that was that was going to be my my sort of grand question to you really which was what do you think the overall philosophy is behind tears of the kingdom because is it about loading us up with new mechanics and ways to experiment since the dev said this sequel emerged from cut dlc ideas that's partly how Tears of the Kingdom came to be. Obviously, you know, DLCs don't get worked on for six years, so it's a you know, it's a much broader proposition than that. Or is it does it go wider than that? Is this the everything Zelda game and the new mechanics just happen to be one part of a much larger experience among a myriad of other things? Where do you think it lands on that scale? It, it, it to me feels like a team that because they didn't have to build a world map got straight to the you know, have basically been able to spend six years making what's in that world Hmm. and some of those are substantial game-changing systems which they went in with mind to like this is the you know they make no bones about it the idea behind this game is crafting stuff and fusing stuff like that those are the two mechanics that like got this project the green light according to Fujiwashi in those interviews you know he comes up with that and goes this is what we're doing but at the same time like i said it's it's this huge story push it's a much more story rich i'd say this is a story rich as as a ocarina or twilight princess and if that's your jam and you know lots of people it is i think that traditional zelda adventure is a lot more present in this game than it was breath of the wild what they deliver there is that level of like character and warmth and like weirder sides that you would maybe expect from an older Zelda, except of a density that can fill this open world. There is so much stuff in here. I mean, like, I can't even begin to take... Like, there are side quests you start in this game where they have, like, a whole other mechanic attached to them, and it becomes this whole other thing. And some of that's, like, trad open world thinking. Like, there's a little bit more, you know, I want someone to visit every well in the world and you have 50 or whatever wells to tick off which feels a little bit more like ubisoft map filler but you know or you have there's a lot of people who like want x of this thing which are going to be spread over the world and you have to go and find them but there are also like yeah i don't want to spoil them but there's i mean you know if people remember Tarrytown from the first game which is like this town that you built up going there and seeing how that's developed story-wise absolute delight but there's a whole kind of side thing going on there which pulls you into this like you know almost animal crossing type deal it's like really substantial and impressive and it just feels like every department on this game had so much time just to make stuff and just keep filling it and keep filling it and keep filling it and you know breath of the wild didn't really have that like one of the things about breath of the wild is it feels like they made this amazing map they made these amazing systems and it's not like there are areas of it that are kind of empty you know, there are whole regions of that where nothing substantial happens apart from, like, there are five shrines. In this game, like, everything is everything is dense, but without 
feeling too artificial without feeling like Ubisoft map, map markers. Like it just feels like they've very organically gone over everything going what can we put here what can we change here and like we haven't really gotten into like uh, you know another reason the map does feel kind of refreshed is that you know the f- all of the regions are like geographically changed some substantially like they've entire kind of world state changes completely change your relationship with them which is really interesting you know at the very least because of this new sky kingdom everything's been rained down on by like lumps of things so that you'll find weird chunks of like landscape that have fallen down everywhere which you know change again like the the moment to moment of the map so i think that everything zelda is right but it's kind of every part of that team just just being able to fill this world and maybe that's the maybe that's what's exciting about it being a direct sequel is it kind of freed up the kind of heavy lift of like what's the what's the big new thing to kind of like well we can do a hundred medium things and in doing that that becomes the big thing you know Mm. yeah it's interesting because i think like when i was sharing with you that i was slightly lukewarm on it you were like well i was suddenly having a better like a you know i was finding my feet with it when i went off the beaten track and maybe not getting so hung up on the systems or you know understanding those or focusing on those and i, I found that kind of interesting mm. so yeah the everything's I mean, over I, game yeah yeah uh, my thoughts are like changing every day based yeah. on how i play it like i've only played this game at the time of recording for four days so like uh, and every day like you know sometimes i do a lot of story stuff and i'm like wow this is like you know ocarina but like in a proper open world and then there are days where i'm like oh, this is just a supercharged breath of the world. Like, I'm climbing up hills, I'm listening to, like, the cool animal sounds, I'm collecting shit. There's days, you know, I've been doing a lot of, like, exploring kind of above and below and kind of trying to get my head around those areas, and we'll talk about those in the second half, I think. And the tone of what happens there is completely different. It's it's very unusual to be bowled over by something where you can't put your finger on one thing and go this is the thing that like makes it you know it's there is something unsatisfying in saying like there are a thousand good decisions here and that's what i'm reacting to but that is kind of how i'm reacting to it i don't really know how i would review this game for that reason i don't have the this is what this game is currently about Um, yeah i i just know that like i'm having such a good time with it that you know, I don't really know what it would have to do to like really piss me off. <laughs> I read two reviews of it, and I definitely felt a sense of I'm struggling to bottle up exactly what this is under one definitive take. And I really sympathise playing this because it is it is different to playing Breath of the World in the sense that that plateau I knew very early on because it was such an accurate microcosm of what the rest of the game was. And, you know, and so it would be as time went on in terms of like it teaches you all the mechanics that you need to go out in the world and enjoy the world and understand how temperature affects things, how, you know, how your powers work, that sort of stuff that it sets expectations early. This game can't quite do that in the same way. It's like, yeah, it's it's much more challenging because they do have new mechanics. They do have new parts of the world to explore. They have so much for you to layer on top of what you already know about Breath of the World that it's uh, yeah i do wonder if there's something it's the intro to this game is the way it is because there isn't necessarily a better way of doing it i.e they could string out those powers for a lot longer wait for you to get them over a longer period of time or they can take more of that 
they get, I guess, like more of a player trusting the player approach, where you just give it to the player, drop them in the world, and say, "Go enjoy it." And at the same mm. time, like I say, like the fact that you have, you know, quest markers. At least where I'm in the, in the game, very obvious quest markers of where you're meant to go and what you're meant to do next. Is that there is a sense of structure there, so you don't feel like you're just necessarily lost from the from the off, and you're yeah. not necessarily overwhelmed it's just really it's just it's it's just like night and day as an intro experience to breath of the world and i think that's what i'm kind of reckoning with and so when i read the reviews i'm like okay these are people who have gone through many different sort of like peaks with this game and bottling it up is seems like a herculean task in a way it just wasn't for breath of the world because i think you could play 20 hours of breath of the world and have the measure of it even if you don't see everything oh yeah you're right the the plateau in Breath of the Wild is that game. Like, yeah. it's fundamentally everything you're going to kind of need to do is there. Not true here. <laughs> yeah, which is really interesting as sequels go, because there aren't too many games I play these days where I do struggle to get my arms around what it is. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. and, what, and what I think of it. And this is why I'm hesitant to slap any like massive take on it beyond my criticism of what I feel <laughs> about the crafting system so far is because yeah. I think in 50 hours time I'm going to feel completely differently about it and yeah. I'm, to- I'm totally willing to own up to that and I do think there's probably a second pod for us in doing like a, a spoilery oh. deep dive you know yeah um, yeah for sure yeah I just I, I, the, the stuff that resonates with me you know it's it, there's so much like particular stuff there's so much sort of Zelda minutiae in this that that just I, I really dig you know there's at the same time there's like admiration for like puzzle mechanics or or or, um you know some of the new powers he has where i'm like you know anywhere else you know someone would be lucky to come up with one of these ideas like ever in their career and there are like at you know in the tutorial there it's like here have this game changing power have this game changing power have this game changing power and you know you almost need a game this big a world this big to kind of give you space to like actually let those things bed in it's a big gamble that they will like it's it's definitely um you know makes you kind of like admire their dedication to sort of how un nintendo it is to let people kind of completely off the leash and maybe completely miss the point of something you know like i've definitely been into a couple of shrines that have kind of recontextualized the power for me where i'm like oh i get it you know i know what that power is about now I, I know how i can use it and you know its potential just sort of like you know blossoms in front of me yeah weird confusing excellent game <laughs> <laughs> 10 out of 10 uh ten, yeah. I mean, yeah i like i don't know currently it's a 10 like if you put a gun to my head i'd say yeah it's a, it's an easy 10 yeah um, i'm not even but, gonna vaguely go there at this yeah, stage but, I'm not even close you know, to uh, but yeah uh, yeah it's a it's a tricky one it's made you know because i'm a i like to like hate read game forums without ever contributing to them and it is actually quite infuriating seeing people like live update their experience right like every every hour or so because i think every hour of this game can be completely different and you could think this was 20 different games in one based on the thing that you chose to do and seeing people kind of like pinball between them and sort of feel a little sort of sense of frustration yeah it's it's uh yeah i uh or, it, it, or indeed, will, the person you make a podcast with. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's it's um, it definitely isn't neat, you know. On, on that, I I agree. You know, like there's there's a certain lack of elegance to it, um, which you might expect like a Nintendo ten to have. 
Yeah. And it's whether, like, you'll spend enough time in this world to kind of master its quirks or maybe Stockholm Syndrome will set set in. Um but there is there is definitely something in that. Like I'm not I'm not I'm not going to say it's like perfect. No, sure. and actually I think there's a certain amount of like acclimatizing that needs to be done to the fact that Nintendo's kind of made a PC game that's on the Switch, right? right. And like I don't think that's that is something I feel pretty confident about saying. Just in the way that people I, are experiencing and talking about it, you know what I mean? I I think this probably alongside Splatoon shows. A new, like a, you really sense like a new generation that is responding to like games outside of Nintendo. Like mm. there's stuff in here which feels so much like not copying other games, but like an idea that was in another game. And you just know these things are in the conversation. And you know, Splatoon is them thinking about what does a Nintendo online shooter look like, you know? And there, there just has to, there has to be kind of like some interest in the form they haven't gone in blind without ever having played an online shooter before mm. um and this one too there's there's just yeah there's things in it like the elements which do feel more like a like an ubisoft open world say where you're like this it it, it definitely feels a bit more trad you know mm. and it didn't have to be because like no one complained about that with breath of the world at all and went oh man this is this feels a bit much like a bit like work it's it's more like there's so much stuff in it that they've kind of they just want to kind of give framing to and give a name to like everything you can do in this game Mm. which they didn't really do in breath of the wild like there's a lot of stuff in breath of the wild you just do it for the sake of doing it Mm. and like that's part of the magic where here they're more likely to go yes you can just encounter these giant bosses out in the wild but like there may also be a quest line where a group of knights will go do you want to come and deck a big monster with us and you'll go with those knights and you'll fight that monster with those knights and it will feel a bit more like scripted content but you know it's things like that there's there's a sense of like how do we package up something so sprawling and some of their answers by necessity end up looking like you know tradition traditional like western open world game design Hmm. Well, that's really interesting. God, there's so much fucking game in this thing, isn't there? I saw like um, I was looking at how long to be, and I was like, so I was side eyeing the hours on there so much because oh, right. I was like, have you played this enough to really say definitively that this is how long it takes to like main plus extra this game? I'm not not totally convinced I mean, of what I've played, but yeah. I mean, the map is literally like two and a half times bigger than Breath of the Wild. Like it's fucking huge. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Kind of preposterous on that level. Okay, Matthew, should we take a break there and come back and talk about basically some more about this game, but uh, in yes. maybe some more specific detail? Yeah, let's do it. Again, I'm trying not to be too much of a party poop here because I do think no, this well, is too much. I, I... I, I don't really know how to articulate what I think about it either. <laughs> it's so fucking hard. Yeah, just... Oh, reviewing this would have been a fucking nightmare. I'm just glad you didn't, because you always have review angst anyway, and then this yeah. would have just been off the chain, so... Yeah, okay, cool. All right, then. Welcome back to the podcast. So, time for some more Tears of the Kingdom chats. We'll try and get into some more specifics in this part of the podcast. So... Matthew, I'm really curious what you make of the addition of 
floating islands to this game because I do think they add something visually spectacular that wasn't in Breath of the Wild, even if I wasn't necessarily like, oh, this feels new and wild and different. I, you know, certainly what it does in terms of your perception of the scale of what you're exploring and the fact mm. that there is a seamless transition between those islands in the sky and what is on the ground is incredibly impressive and does feel like something I actually haven't seen before in a video game in terms of that. Mm. Well, I suppose unless you count something like Just Cause, for example. But it's certainly right. surprising to see it in something like Zelda. So, or not surprising, because I know this is coming for a long time, but at least, you know, I have not seen this in a Nintendo game before. It feels like unquestionably new in that respect. What do you make of the whole floating island idea in this game? Yeah, I'm, I, I love it for all the reasons you've outlined there. I'm it's not as substantial as I thought it was going to be, given the amount of, like, focus on it. You know, I guess there was a, a sense of, like, well, we want to show something that is, like, the most visually new, because maybe people will feel a little nonplussed if it's just, like, here's a load of kind of hills. You, you know, there are screenshots, there are many screenshots you could take of this game where you're, like, Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom. You won't be able to tell. But putting you up in the clouds, you're instantly like, okay, we haven't seen this before, but... Like, I haven't spent a huge amount of time up there outside of the tutorial because there's, like, there's not as much stuff up there as you'd necessarily think. You know, when you fill in the map in this game, that it has, like, a, a, a kind of tower mechanic, like the first game. It also fills in the sky map. And sometimes there's, like, one blip for the whole region, and you're like, huh, oh, I guess there's not a lot going on up there. Um, <laughs> but... What is up there is certainly very mysterious and quite hard to get to. You know, like, it's not a case of, like, well, if you just put in lots of time, you can ride between any locations like you can on the ground. Like, Mm. fundamentally, what holds you back is points of entry, like, actually getting back up there, short of, like, teleporting to the shrines on the first island, is, you know, not hugely obvious how you're meant to get back up there. And once you're up there you're limited by how much you can glide using your paraglider from the first game or your competency at building contraptions that will carry you between the islands. And at the moment, I'm at a point, I feel like that's sort of like there's some gating going on there. Like I've not been able to get to a lot of it. Mm. Um, I've just not really been able to work out. Now I've amassed parts that actually I I probably could open up a lot of it. But what I do like is is that sense of, well, I can't get there, but because I can't get there, I desperately want to get there and see what's on that thing. And it, it may just be like a chest, which would be a bummer, but there's some really weird stuff up there as well, which is cool. Um, I really love the new sort of the aesthetic of, of the Zonai civilization. It's, it's very cool. It's all a bit like sort of Zen garden, lots of raked sand and things. <laughs> um, Were they in the first game, the Zonai? Ah. Uh, I don't really remember there being hints of them. Because it's not like a new ancient civilization they've added to this one, right? That's kind of what the the deal is. So they they fought an ancient war beforehand, right? That's kind of what what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, I I'm going to put my hand up and say there's a lot about the story in this game. Even after all this time, I don't really understand like right. the main thrust of it. Like something happens at the start, which kind of splits Link and Zelda up. But the nature of what's going on with Zelda is quite confusing. Definitely, like it's genuinely quite hard to work out like what i'm you know what the vibe is so mm. but yeah up, up there in the clouds there's some stuff that, that there's there's just lots of stuff you just don't know really how it works and you go there and you get your ass kicked and there's some excitement in that because there's, there's not a lot on the surface which if you played loads of breath of the wild you wouldn't have like 
an inkling of like, well, I can kind of approach it this way, or I've got this bag of tricks I can use. But up there, you're like, I don't really know how this thing functions, and I don't really understand this machine, and maybe I'm missing the point. And mm. that, that's like, there's definitely some sort of magic in that. You know, in a way, and this is probably overselling it a little bit, the sky sort of feels like Wind Waker in terms of like lots of dots and you desperately want to get to the dot and there's probably just like a tree on it or something but once you get there it's the satisfaction of getting there and uh, but I, I haven't really kind of tapped into that part of the game yet. It's something I need to do more of. Um, yeah. Well, you need to uh, some... unlock your Zonai uh, hyperdrive system, um, which you unlock <laughs> yeah. right after your Zonai uh, Large Hadron Collider. So yeah, just look forward <laughs> well, to that. Well, there is, you. I mean, like, there's quite a confusing economy around, like, this new Zonite, Zonite material, which buys like more energy to put in contraptions so your contraptions can kind of go further mm. and I, I put a lot of time into buying my first upgrade and the upgrade was so piddly like what i actually got for putting in the time was you know i actually barked out laughter at how stingy it was being <laughs> right. um it's a little bit like I, I guess it's like a third resource alongside hearts and stamina mm. it's kind of zonai electricity and the rate it goes up, I'm like, well, I am not getting to a lot of this stuff anytime soon. Um, so that's that's a bit of a bummer. But um, fundamentally, like, I love jumping down, like skydiving and seeing the map. Just be there is really, really nice. Um, I really love going up. Um, there's things that kind of fire you into the sky. And, like, there is something absolutely perfect about it's tipping down with rain you're in like a waterlogged region you're having a real shit time of it you fire yourself out a tower and you kind of punch through the rain clouds and it's like perfect calm above the clouds yeah. and the light suddenly changes and you're like that is amazing that that can happen <laughs> in a game like that is a like that's a that's a thing that's a moment and it's a moment you can just have again and again like i'm storm chasing just to kind of punch through the storm and see what happens mm. yeah that's really good that's cool I think as well, I, I quite like the idea with the floating islands of there being some larger mobility challenge, i.e. something you have to build up towards, some kind of power curve in like yeah. tra- transportation that is beyond the, the the sort of challenges you'd have in Breath of the Wild of like, how am I going to reach this if I don't have enough like, you know, stamina to climb there and that sort of mm. stuff, or I can't glide there, or like, how the hell do you get over there? How do I get up there? Those kind of questions. But I guess more tapping into your mastery of the crafting system as a yeah. how do you get there or or some other system that might be in the world that is as yet un, unrevealed. So yeah. yeah, interesting. But yeah, Wind Waker obvious comparison perhaps, but that kind of makes sense. The idea of like because you can see the shadow of these things when you're on the ground because you look up and you see them, and then also stuff falls from them sometimes onto the overworld. There's that sense of oh, it's, it's kind of teasing me. The map is teasing me. It's telling me this is up there somewhere, if you can get there. And yeah. that's a cool notion in an open world game, you know? I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's worth reading the interviews, actually, on, on the Nintendo site with the team, because one of the interviews is basically about them 
talking about how substantial the sky realm should be because mm. they're like if you fill it full of shit it looks terrible from the ground <laughs> so you look up and they said it just looks like it's full of garbage like right. floating around like space i guess <laughs> um and they're also talking about the size of the islands because they're like if they're too small they just look like nasty specks they look it looks like something's gone wrong with the game so it, it really feels like they wrestled like that's too much that's too little you know scale it back scale it back and i think they were actually quite quite a lot of self-control about how they like deal with it it's funny because it looks it looks very unsubstantial from the ground but sometimes when you're up in it and it's all kicking off you're like oh this is quite cool actually there's quite a lot going up here um but yeah i, I it's the, the area i'm like i definitely need to see see more of of the story chunk i've done the kind of the the dungeon for that took me into the skies i'll say um uh, i don't know if they all are up in the air um but it was like the ascent to it, absolutely spectacular. Like just uh, a brilliant set piece that involved like crazy trampolines. It was like something out of Mario Galaxy. It was just like platforming on an epic scale. I was like, it may be a more scripted moment, but I was like, that is just that is so good. Yeah, really good music as well. I just watched Catherine do it again, so I was watching her do the whole set piece because that's the bummer with these games is they're like 100 hours and there are things in them that will only ever happen once. Right, right. Um, Which is like a pain. I felt the same in Breath of the Wild. Like I quite liked the the approaches to the Divine Beasts, those little kind of cinematic moments where you were like skidding around, sort of shooting out the feet in the desert and things and you were like, oh, it's a shame I'd have to play another 50 hours of this to see this again, but... Yeah, that was kind of like the only example of it in uh, Breath of the Wild 2, really, those those instances of like scripted set pieces, that and obviously the final yeah. boss fight. And so the idea there's more in this that's not related to, this maybe not as like momentary is quite interesting. Mm. Um, okay, intriguing there. Uh, mm. Conversely then, Matthew, which I didn't actually know about until, well, I suppose the trailers gave it away when you saw like a, a minecart below ground, um, in a, you know, as that um, saxophone was popping off in that trailer, um, <laughs> as discussed in a previous episode. Underground is like a substantial part of this this game too. So I was curious if you think the presence of underground sections in this game helps address that one issue people leveled against Breath of the Wild was that it didn't have the traditional Zelda dungeons, and I know that some, you know, trad Zelda fans did like brush up against that and thought maybe it was a step too far away from that but it sounds like this is a not a course correction as such we discussed this a little bit in the first part but does this do you think this element in particular is like them saying we've put dungeons in breath and uh we put dungeons in tears of the kingdom now for you because we knew you missed them in breath of the world i mean that what i'd say what's down there isn't really dungeons i'd say there are dungeons which are like the divine beasts which are in the story, like those story missions. What's kind of under the ground is like, an, it's just sort of a realm unto itself. Right. Like an incredibly dangerous place. It has, it, it basically, if the air has its own exploration mechanic, which is like, how do you move? How do you fly between these, these places? And the ground has all the navigation mechanics you remember from the first game you know climbing and gliding now with these contraptions underground has like its own vibe again uh it has like its own rhythm and focus it's a lot more about i'd say a tentative expedition um it's very dangerous it's very dark and it's about like managing that space and making it safer for yourself i'd say it does something that people really celebrated in elden ring but it does it for real like it actually goes 
it goes big in a in a way you'd be like oh surely it's not as big as this and then you're like it gradually dawns on you oh it is as big as this this is crazy that they've done this i kind of love it down there i've spent a lot of time in the darkness <laughs> i'm like fucking bane um, <laughs> like i love that when you jump down holes to underground the, the music it starts playing this like fucking evil saxophone riff as if to go like this is like things are getting dark and messy it's like some dark jazz down here um <laughs> is it like an end game zone is that the kind of thing they're going no for? no that's that's what's interesting i think the nastiest stuff is down there but there's safer stuff like this the, the story like the main storyline kind of will take you down there what's kind of confusing about this game a little bit is that you have what i would say is the main story and then it has what I think they call side adventures, which are different to side missions. Side adventures are kind of like game-long narratives that you'll follow a thread through the game, which is obviously we've seen in loads of other, you know, Western open-world games. Um, you know, more like, I don't know, maybe like companion quests is maybe the best sort of, like, way of describing them. And some of those will kind of take you down into this area and give you more of a foothold, but... Like, you're free to jump into the fucking nastiest corner of the underground from the start and to see what, what like, awaits you and whether you can survive. But it, it just, yeah, it just has such a different flavour to, to what's going on above. Like, it really does feel like, you know, like, not mining, but it feels like you're pushing into the gloom and you're very kind of, you know, you're only a shrine teleport away from escaping it. But there is this sense of, like, Oh, this is quite overwhelming and scary down here. <laughs> right. Well, that's cool. That's a cool addition. So, yeah. the du- so what would be described as dungeons does exist, but is not tied to that underground space as such. No, I'm not. Well, I mean, it might be dungeons down. There. I don't like. I said, I've, I've only done one dungeon. Right. I would describe that. You could see, you could see its relationship to the divine beasts in terms of maybe like size, but it it had its like own vibe to it. You know, right. I think one of the things, again, they talk about in the interview in, in this, they didn't want it to be like, there are these four structures which have the same aesthetic. They were like, we're building these specific kind of, um, they're thinking more like traditional Zelda dungeons, like this is the water dungeon, this is the wind dungeon, and like, what would that look like, and what's the concept of that? Um, like I say, I've done one of them, like, I'd be intrigued to see if any of them get like, much bigger and do some like, wild stuff. I have no idea of whether it does this or not, but, you know, obviously it's pointing me in four directions from the start. I am intrigued if there are more dungeons beyond that to, like, bring it more in line with traditional Zelda, but, I, you know, I won't know until I get there. <laughs> Interesting. Well, hmm, where to sort of, like, go from here, really? Because, you know, it's that thing of, like, there's so much more for us both to uncover in this game. Hmm. I can't even begin to wrap a verdict around it at this point. I'm just like overwhelmed by how strange this experience is as a sequel and like how my own expectations have been upended a little bit by I guess the structure of it maybe being slightly different to what I anticipated because it is bizarre that it starts with this story. It's kind of got more cutscene in the opening than you get throughout the entirety of Breath of the Wild unless you go looking for the individual cutscenes really. or maybe like any Zelda, <laughs> like, yeah. Like it, it, uh, yeah. It opens with an interactive cutscene. That's crazy for a Nintendo game. Yeah, very different vibe. Like you say, this is where 
there are instances of this where maybe you, you see them paying attention to how other maybe western developers are doing it somewhat as well um yeah so quite unusual in that respect and then dumps you on this island i find it quite funny that the game is sort of like you know it's not a spoiler to say that something happens to zelda as matthew points out it's actually quite hard to work out what has happened to zelda in the story <laughs> <laughs> um but it's quite funny that you're like oh no i'm i'm separated from zelda and then five minutes later, I was like cooking some mushrooms and Link was like, hey, and I was like, oh, there he is. He's back to his real passion in life, which is making mushrooms. And he's, yeah. like, he's over it now. It's fine. Um, he he, he yeah. sings when he cooks now as well, which I really like. He, he sings little bits of old Zelda tunes. Yeah. It, OK, here's something I really wanted to quiz you on, actually, because the thing I struggled with a little bit in the opening, besides the the um, the controls for the uh, the crafting was... The fact that the power curve resets and right. you're back to three hearts and you're back to low stamina. Now, this is not completely unexpected, obviously, in terms of how these how a new game experience tends to work. But I will admit to feeling a bit weary at the idea of fighting enemies I'd fought for 70 hours, except now I was dying to them in that opening right. area. And... I wondered how you felt about that and the power curve of the game in general, because you're further along than me. I'm yeah. sure you have more hearts than me, more stamina than me, uh, obviously more zo- um, Zonai goodies than I do. How do you feel about the power curve in this game generally? Yeah, like, I'm, I'm kind of okay with it. I, I think mainly because the there are a lot more enemy types in this game. So the sense of like, oh, I'm just doing these fights again. I mean, you're, you're right. You definitely fight a lot of stuff you'll be familiar with, but there's loads of stuff. Like there's a lot more classic Zelda enemies in this, which is like part of the fun of like discovering it again and sort of working out the kind of gimmicks with them. Um, like g- generally, like I liked messing around. I like using the new stuff on them. Um, but I because like I think a lot of the new ideas have clicked with me. Uh, you know and i kind of bedded in quite quickly with them like i maybe haven't had that same i think the two go hand in hand basically you know like i th- i think the sense of those fights feeling kind of renewed and refreshed kind of hinges on like really being into like fusing stuff and you know fucking around with contraptions or some of the other new kind of gimmicks in it or whatever um and if if those things are still you know not you're keeping them at arm's length but you're slightly suspicious of them you're probably going to jump in with traditional tactics and it probably is going to feel a lot more like breath of the world as a result which is what it sounds like sort of happening with you a bit i will say yeah once i started getting some of the new new items though and start, like started messing around with them, like the new ingredients and the fact that you can like you can fuse stuff but you can also just throw any object you have in your hands so like if you have a bomb you could attach it to an arrow and shoot it and it'll be a bomb arrow but you could just also throw the bomb and i've had quite a lot of fun like messing around with with enemies um in that kind of a slightly immersive simmy way of like using these like weird plants to like fuck with people and there was this um quite horrible difficulty spike around this sort of of village that had been attacked by pirates and you have to clean out all these enemies and there's quite a lot of really nasty stuff there um but once i worked out i could start using these like puff shrooms to basically use them as like gas grenades to lay down cover and then sneak in and like shank people um it suddenly became like actually quite a quite a good stealth set piece i had a really good time doing that and i I felt like i was only really engaging with like the core ideas of breath of the world i wasn't doing any zone i madness or anything around the edges and 
I think there's just a lot here. It just maybe takes a while to kind of click in, click into it. And once you do, it really does kind of reinvigorate a lot of those enemy encounters. Like I'm actively seeking people out now, which I probably wouldn't have done in Breath of the Wild. Like I'd, I'd if I ever saw like a treehouse full of moblins, I'd be like, fuck that and just run past it um, after mm. a point. But in this one, I'm like, no, I'll go and mess with them. Hopefully one of them will chuck a, uh, an explosive barrel at me and I'll just reverse time the barrel straight into his face. Yeah. Um, Reverse time does a lot of heavy lifting in a lot of situations in this game. <laughs> yeah, and I think it is an interesting point about the combat generally in Breath of the Wild that it's sort of like you've sort of seen a lot of what it's got to offer quite early on. And mm. this game, by taking that immersive sim element that step further in terms of the amount of different you know ways you can affect enemies with status effects and stuff like that, means that it, you know it like you say it is, is encouraging experimentation in a way that the original game was not doing so mm. perhaps they identified combat as an area where they needed to shore it up somewhat or give you or, or they saw that the strengths of the first game were what happens if the um you know you push a rock off of this cliff onto these onto these goblins what happens yeah, to them, yeah. etc so that's that is exciting that they've added that you know freezing enemies setting them on fire all that kind of stuff or just you know loads of other different status effects that you know you're just encouraged to play around with and see what the outcome is um yes okay interesting so i suppose matthew to wrap up is there anything else you wanted to sort of discuss here or regale us with from your experience of the game so far that kind of reinforces how positively you feel about it uh, oh god i should have had a killer anecdote um <laughs> i should have put this in the episode plan to be fair instead of ambushing yeah, you with it no. <laughs> again i guess not to keep banging on about the, the story elements but i am surprised um how much it has hit me to kind of like be with all these people and who i knew in breath of the wild and breath of the wild is like reasonably sparsely populated given the size of the world like there are a handful of villages and actually going back to those villages and seeing how things had like moved on or changed like i've 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 just i really love that i think it's it's shown off like how good these you know characters are like drawn you know there's no voice acting in the game obviously it's all just done in text but they're so brilliantly realized and i've like maybe this is just like this is recency bias because this is what i've been doing like for the last couple of days is like filling out the map and visiting all my old haunts but going back and seeing like all these things that you set in motion in breath of the Wild have kind of been realized or acted on here and everyone kind of remembers you and like a lot of the side quests are like riffing on side quests you did in breath of the Wild. i mean i only really know this because i've played breath of the Wild so recently going straight into it i'm like oh yeah these are like they really have sequeled everything in this game you know it's kind of crazy it's like you know that the, you know the weird guy who had a kind of crush on someone in the village and asked you to do something for him well he's now got a weird crush on someone else in the village and wants you to do like a very similar quest and the game's quite kind of winky about that kind of stuff and um yeah and like the, the Tarrytown stuff is just so good like i love that place um i loved building that place in the first game and just the kind of magic of going back to your old haunts is like really really special and i'm struggling to think of another open world that's done it quite this way in terms of you know it's you know it's literally kind of like inch for inch the same place but you can just see how everyone's getting on now um 
even all the generic stable masters who you didn't give a fuck about. A very mild spoiler, you can skip ahead two minutes if you don't want to hear about this, um, but I know it'll make you laugh, Sam, unless you've already done this. Have you done the newspaper stuff in this game? No, I just, I haven't counted it though. And I've been told about an editorial office that, right. ex- that exists somewhere. So, so that's on my it's on my list of things to do. I mean, there is a there is a substantial side story in this game about Link becoming a freelance journalist, <laughs> right? Which okay. is just it's so it's just so perfect the life of 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 the, like the wandering journalist. But he's like it's kind of like Bath Chronicle style, right? You know? It's like local interest stories getting paid like fucking <laughs> fuck all. Um, but if you do enough of them, you can you can get a um, like you get fabrics to kind of customize your paraglider. And my paraglider is now got like newspapers all over it. And every time I open it up, I'm like, print is alive and it's soaring <laughs> above my rule. This is how it should be. Incredible. Like, how can you not fucking love a game that lets you do that? <laughs> that's good. Well, I mean, us specifically, that's like that feels very tailor made. But uh, yeah, that, that is so specific an idea though. The idea of like. I do always like it when there are in-game newspapers and you get to see the innards of that organisation. See also, you know, um, Final Fantasy VIII or indeed the Yakuza series. There's some of that to it as well, isn't there? Right. Um, so, yeah, I do. I, I, I like that notion. But the idea of him becoming a freelance journalist, that's super funny. Uh, I love that. I love the idea of you flying around with print media on your glider. That's just like, <laughs> well done. Well done. That's really good. Um, yeah. It's just... There's just a lot. There's a lot to love here. It's just that kind of constant level of just amusement for me. So um, yeah, I'm having a really good time with it, and I know that we will come back to it and hopefully be able to say some more profound thoughts about it. Um, yeah. But like, I th- I feel like I'm I'm nibbling at everything that's there, you know, without committing to any of it, you know, because I just I want to sort of savor it. Yeah. But... This is the other thing, right? The reason I played like around 10 to 12 hours of it is i do not want to burn through this because that is not how i played breath of the world i did play breath of the world in like three hour chunks basically for about three months two months something like that and so by the end i played it for 70 hours i'd seen every corner of the map and i'd done many of the shrines i felt like i'd had a, a comprehensive experience and i I would rather push towards that in my own time than burn through it because they only make one of these every six years. So why go through it all of it in a week? You know what I mean? So yeah, there's there's mm. a bit of that to it. Although having said that, you took a week off to play it. So uh, what do I know, Matthew? There's well, a uh... fucking dweeb. <laughs> Not at all. You're just very committed. And I'm sure the listeners of this I podcast mean, uh, appreciate your like, takes, you know. It, it doesn't get bigger than a Zelda or a Mario. You know, Zelda and Mario, they're the, they're the main event very rare that i get to like just enjoy one of these things as a punter so i guess that should be that should be treasured and it'll probably take them another five years to make another one yeah which will they will they leave this high rule who knows yeah it feels uh, like whatever comes next will probably not be the same thing again remixed or yeah. like you know using this as a basis but who knows yeah. it's way too early can... to speculate about that they should just keep returning to this place every six years and just seeing like everyone grow up and that's what Yakuza did. We don't complain that Yakuza is basically like, the same eight streets for like fucking ten games. Yeah, and this is like eight hundred kilometers. You know, yeah, and everyone's to... like, "Oh god, <laughs> not eight hundred kilometers of this place again." <laughs> no, that is one thing I like. I must say in its its favor is that you, while the topography might be familiar, like the the framing of the world is very much not not similar. Oh yeah, it's amazing how much of a difference a load of rocks having fallen and everything makes um 
there being no guardians. So basically, like, Hyrule Field is now a really chill place. Yeah. It's, like, probably one of the best grassy plains in the whole game, but in the first game, it's full of horrible fucking robots. Yeah. Um, and also, by moving around, like, the lookout towers, which I don't know if you play like this, but I, I fast travel to those a lot Same. as, like, a base of operations. But, like, just but them being in different places, you naturally start taking different routes around the map. There were certain parts of the map, like, if you had a heat map of where I'd been, uh, which is an unlockable thing with the TLC, of course, um, I would often stick to the same roads because they were the ones that I would naturally reach from each tower. But here, like, you're automatically in a kind of different mindset. It's, it's I think a lot of it's psychological, but it, it really, like, I haven't, I've honestly not thought, like, oh, fuck this place again, um, which I thought was going to be, like, a big problem. But Yeah. Okay, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's, I, I can't think of many other examples of this, but, like, the gta dlc for gta 4 reminds me of that a little bit where it's like Mm. i know this is i know i'm looking at the same space but a they've obviously filled this world with completely new different content um that you know so it doesn't feel the same in that respect but like you say there's just there are so many other things they do with the framing to make it feel somehow like a foreign land again because you are trying Mm. to reconcile with how much has changed since you were last there very impressive okay ballad of gay hestu Excellent. There you go. Round of applause for Matthew Castle there. Oh, I so, wish I could think of a character that rhymed with Tony. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, maybe the next time we do a, a Tears of the Kingdom podcast, you can have that in the back pocket, you know? Just like, uh, yeah, check back in two months for a much better gag. That's uh, <laughs> We'll see how we get on. Okay, this podcast, thank you so much for listening, as ever. We can be followed on Twitter at BackPagePod. I've somehow forgotten how this works, the outro. Don't know why that is. Patreon.com slash BackPagePod if you'd like two extra podcasts a month. This month we've done uh, 50 moments in games that make us go, oh no, including all kinds of horseshit about Kingdom Hearts summons and Donald Duck and all kinds of rubbish. That was quite fun. And the XXL episode, which we've not recorded at the time of uh, the time you're listening to this yet, is going to be the best TV episodes of all time. All that fun stuff. You can also email us at backpagegames at gmail.com. We are doing another Games Court episode at the end of this month. So if you would like to submit your entries late on, you can do that. And then we will, um, Judge Matthew Castle will uh, will uh, yeah deliver <laughs> deliver judgment. Um, we'll see how that pans out, <laughs> forcing ourselves to do a Games Court again. Should be fun. Matthew, where can people <laughs> find you on social media? Uh, at Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. I'm Samuel W. Roberts. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.